So this is going to be the final installment for, in this series that we are calling Pillar Talk. And we've been talking about the pillars of a healthy marriage. And so if you are single, you want to lean in during this series because this is your classroom. You want to become the right somebody. You don't want to just be looking for the right somebody. Is that right? So lean in. Now, we're basing this series off of a great book called The Four Laws of Love by Jimmy Evans. And most of what you're going to hear that what you've heard during this, season, during this series comes from this book. And uh, Jimmy says it this way. Marriage is the safest relationship on earth when God's marriage laws are honored. And so these are the pillars or the laws of love uh, are the pillars of a strong marriage. And so our theme verse for this series, it's been Genesis 2, 20, uh, 24 and 25. And we know that God made man and woman, and he called them husband and wife. He married them. And as soon as he, as soon as he married them and married them, he said these things over them, that a man would leave his father and mother. And we discovered that pillar number one is that your marriage, guys, it has to be priority. It, you prioritize your marriage over the feeling of in love. You prioritize your marriage over your children, over everything, all right? A marriage will not work unless it is priority one outside of your relationship with Christ. And then we learned, it says that he is united to his wife. And we discovered that the word united in the original Hebrew, it actually meant to pursue, okay? And so in looking at how Jesus pursues us, because the Bible uses that imagery a lot between husband and wife and Jesus and us, his church, his bride. We found out that Jesus pursues us by serving us, okay? We talked about the, that foundational pillar of prioritizing by serving. And we discovered that if two spouses are pursuing God, that they by default will actually begin to get closer to each other. Okay? And, and then they begin to pursue each other. So if you pursue God, you will begin to have his heart for your spouse. And you will begin to naturally pursue them as well. All right. So then pillar three is that they became one flesh. Okay? We talked about partnership or friendship in marriage. And what we discovered was that if we are going to be partners in life, growing old together, we've got to be best friends. And friends, especially best friends, require trust between people. And in order to trust each other, we have to submit each to each other in a way that the other person actually needs. So we talked about that a man's number one need is for honor and respect. And usually women's number one need is for security. And if we learn how to treat each other with honor and security, we can actually build trust. And if we build trust, we build friendship. And if we build friendship, then we're partners for life, and we can grow old together in love as best friends, okay? So now, today, we're going to be talking about the final pillar of a healthy marriage. And so let's go back to Genesis 2, okay? So first, we leave our father and mother. We make our spouse a priority. Then we are united to our spouse, okay? So we pursue them, and then we become one flesh, which means we're partners, we're friends for life. And then it says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, the word naked there in the Hebrew, it means simply to be exposed, okay? So they weren't just physically naked. They were both mentally and emotionally and spiritually exposed to each other. God created marriage where there was no fear, total vulnerability, purity 
before each other. We can see anything that we want to see inside and out. And so God created marriage to be the most intimate, pure relationship, vulnerable relationship on earth. So the nakedness that Adam and Eve had, it was mental, emotional, spiritual, as well as physical. So what that meant was they were able to completely open their minds, their emotions, their dreams, their spirits, as well as their bodies to each other without any shame or fear at at all. And look, that was true until Satan came into the garden. Because when sin came into the garden, they immediately began to hide themselves from God and each other. And this wonderful nakedness, vulnerability, this exposure that they had on every level, now they had lost that. Because intimacy, watch this, is not possible in a sinful environment. Okay, let me explain. Now remember, when Adam and Eve sinned, God came to Adam and he said, what have you done? And Adam said, you gave me that woman. And he wasn't just accusing Eve, he was actually accusing God. You gave me a bad woman. I'd like to trade her in. And and then God came to Eve and said, what have you done? And she said, the devil made me do it. Neither one of them accepted responsibility for their behavior, so trust was out the window. So they started out with this vulnerability, this purity between each other that was so vulnerable. And then when sin entered, they had to cover themselves. So the fourth pillar of a strong relationship is simply that purity or that vulnerability, where something is so pure between the two of you that you can be vulnerable with each other. You trust each other enough that they are going to be careful with your heart if you expose yourself. See, you can only be intimate in an environment of carefulness. When people are careful about their behavior, they take responsibility, then we feel comfortable. The reason you fell in love was because you were careful. When you went out the first, second, third, fourth date, you know, with with that person that you're married to, you were very careful about what you said. You were very careful about what you did. Anytime you picked them up, you made sure that your car was cleaned out. You were careful with your hair. I was careful with my hair when I had it. <laughs> you were careful about your breath, right? You put forward your best foot, right? You're careful. And then when you do something wrong, you take responsibility for it, all right? Now, a lot of times we fall out of love. We're talking about the emotion, We fall out of love, the emotion, because we begin to say and do things that are careless and hurtful. So the other person feels like they got to protect themselves from us, right? Or maybe they shared their thoughts and feelings with you, and you used it against them. And now I can't share feelings with you if I don't feel safe. I can't open up and be intimate if I feel as though you might hurt me with it. And this is the problem. And a lot of this happens, a lot of this hurt that causes us to cover ourselves and not be vulnerable, it happens in conflict. Is that right? Moments of anger is when this happens. So if we're going to keep a relationship pure, we've got to be able to deal with conflict and anger in a healthy way. Okay? But the problem is this. We don't understand how to fight. Now, in good marriages, it's okay. You could fight. There could be conflict in marriage. All right? A good, strong marriage is not a marriage where you never fight. And by the way, if you never fight, it could be because one person is actually dominating the relationship. 
Okay? So the lack of conflict doesn't always mean that, something's not, that, something's, that something is not wrong. There's nothing wrong with anger. Jesus got angry, anger. Nothing wrong with conflict. Jesus had conflict. But we've got to be able to process conflict without damaging each other. That is the main thing that we have to do in marriage. And look, most of us did not have good role models growing up on how to resolve conflict. Some of you were raised in a, in a home where when there was conflict, sparks flew. I mean, words became daggers between your parents, and you witnessed this. Some of you actually witnessed it, that ex escalating into physical violence. And then others of you, whenever there was potential conflict, everybody ran to their corners. And, and then later they came out and pretended like nothing happened, and there was never any resolution to the conflict. And then a few people had parents that did it right. They modeled for us healthy conflict, but those are very few. Most people never had healthy conflict modeled in front of them. We never, they never learned how to fight, how to fight in a healthy way. Because listen, when you have healthy conflict, even though there is conflict or there is disagreement, when you are, in that, you are in that safe place where you're careful with each other in conflict, we create an atmosphere of vulnerability, purity, where we can get in naked in front of each other emotionally, spiritually, mentally, as well as physically. And so the thing is, is that we're supposed to have this purity and this vulnerability between each other, all right? And I think there's some reasons why we don't understand how to fight, okay? Uh, let's start in Ephesians 4, 26, all right? It says, in your anger, so it's okay to be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. And I think that in this scripture, there are a handful of things that actually contribute to us not understand how to have healthy conflict. And so the first one, it says, in your anger, don't sin. So the first thing that I want you to see here, and I think the thing that we do that sabotages healthy conflict is number one is we deny that we're angry, that our anger. It's okay, be angry. Jesus got angry, made a whip and cleansed the temple like twice. It's okay, anger is an, is an okay, there's nothing wrong with it. All right, uh, regardless of your level of spiritual maturity or emotional maturity, you are going to have anger, all right? Now, when we get anger, what we're not saying is that our anger is necessarily right. Just because you're angry doesn't mean you're right. I could be angry because somebody legitimately wronged me, but I could also be angry or offended just because I don't know. A lot of anger in marriage is because we simply don't understand each other, Okay misunderstandings, uh, sometimes Im immaturity on one of our parts, unrealistic expectations, stress. All these things can actually cause anger. So I'm not saying that if I get angry, it's because I'm right. I'm just saying it's real, okay? And I want to be able to process it in a healthy way. Now watch this. The trademark of dysfunction in a family is not allowing emotions to come out. Dysfunctional families, you cannot, you can't feel, and you can't talk about your feelings. And if in a functional family, we talk about our feelings, we express things, all right? It doesn't mean we worship our emotions or even we follow our emotions. We don't use them for decision-making. That's ignorant. But we can talk and say, hey, I feel this way. Right or wrong, this is how I feel, Okay? And by the way, if you don't deal with your anger, it can actually cause emotional problems, health problems, and all kinds of other problems. 
So when you bottle up anger, it doesn't go away. It just starts to rot and stink on the inside of you. No, we got to cultivate an atmosphere of honesty, vulnerability within your home. We got to tell our spouses, look, I want you to be honest with me. And you won't pay a price for that honesty. Now, I may not agree with you, but you're not going to pay a price with me for being honest. That's the atmosphere. And a lot of times, spouses can't be honest with each other because they know the other person is just going to fly off the handle. Look, anger should be legal in your family. It is a normal thing, okay? Now, another reason in the scripture that I think we don't know how to have healthy conflict resolution is this, is because we justify our sin because we're angry. It says, be angry, but don't sin. So you can't justify your sin. Look, if, if you do something wrong because you're anger, angry, you can't justify that. Don't justify sin because you're angry. A lot of people do the wrong thing in response to what their spouse is doing because they're angry, and they wonder, well, why, why, why is it getting so bad? You can only defeat a spirit with the opposite spirit. You can only defeat a spirit with the opposite spirit, okay? And when you're fighting fire with fire, anger with anger, or spite with spite, unforgiveness with unforgiveness, hatefulness with hatefulness, you're never going to solve the problem. We've got to learn to express our anger with composure. What I'm not saying is that you can just fly off the, hang, off the handle and scream and yell or break down at inappropriate times. Look, when you're a child and you got to go, you got a diaper on. You just go. But once you learn to mature, it's not that you never go. It's that you understand how to hold it until the right time. So we got people messing themselves. They got to go emotionally. But they don't know how to hold it until a more opportune time. And so it just comes out onto everybody else. Sometimes we need to learn to grow up and understand. It's not that you deny your anger. It's not that you never go. But it's not that you explode on everybody whenever you can't hold it. We've got to learn to grow up sometimes and get some composure and learn how to hold it until the right time. Right? And if you don't, you cannot justify your sin of how you treat other people and how you explode onto other people just because, well, but I'm angry. And I just tell people, I give them my mind. You need a diaper. Don't justify it, okay? All right. I'm sorry. I was mean there. I apologize. I'll back up. All right. Here's another thing is I think we brew. Sometimes we stay angry too long. Paul said, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. All right? Look, there's nothing wrong with today's anger. Today's anger. It's yesterday's anger that's the problem. That's where destructive anger comes from. It's yesterday's anger. One of the best habits you can, you can have as a married couple is that, we're look, we're not going to go to bed angry. We're going to process our anger as much as we can today. And so we don't want to go to bed anger, angry because then it, we open the door to the devil. Today's anger is manageable. Nothing wrong with today's anger to be able to talk about it. But see, the devil, he doesn't have access to today's anger. But when I go to bed angry, he will slither in. And he's stealthy. He doesn't tell you that it's him. And so I think if we are denying our anger or if you're justifying our sin, if we're hanging on to our anger too long, here's what it's going to do. It's going to give the devil a foothold in your marriage. And the foothold that the devil gets in your marriage 
Check this out. It's between your ears. He crawls into your mind and he begins to tell you things that are not true. Because you're denying your anger. You're denying your sin. And you're holding on to it long enough for him to toy with your mind and your emotions. Your anger at that point will give, you, give him an open door to come in and slander your spouse to you. And all night long, you're lying in bed and those thoughts in your mind that did not originate with God or you, they came from the devil. And I learned this from my mother, is that the devil speaks in first person. He'll get in your ear and he'll say, I cannot believe they did that to me. That's the devil speaking to you. But you take that on as your own thought and you accept it as your own thoughts. Like, that's right. And now you're in a bad place. You wake up the next morning thinking you're enlightened and what a jerk they are. (laughs) Or how much they don't deserve you. And you think you're enlightened, but actually you're deceived. And now you begin to look at your spouse through the devil's eyes. Sometimes deeply held beliefs that we have are actually our deception because we went to bed angry and the devil started to access that anger. We gave him a foothold and he will slander your spouse to you for you. Some of us have deeply held beliefs about our spouse that are totally wrong because we gave a foothold to the devil. So the question now, it becomes, all right, so Micah, how? How do we have healthy conflict within our marriage? All right? Well, I want to back up a few verses from where we've been looking in Ephesians, okay? Ephesians chapter 4. I want to back up to Ephesians 4.15 just before this. Because I think in this scripture, I think we find the answer to this. Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love, okay? We will grow to become in every respect a mature body of him who is the head, that is Jesus Christ. And so it says, speaking the truth in love. So we're not avoiding the truth, all right? We're not avoiding conflict, but we're also walking in love, all right? We're talking about conflict. We're fighting in love, if you will, all right? So if you want to go back to the garden where we could be vulnerable and naked emotionally, mentally, spiritually, vulnerable with each other, we want that purity in our relationship that was in the garden in the first marriage then this is our big idea for today. This is the thing that I want you to go home with today, okay? Is that purity in marriage, that vulnerability, comes from fighting in love. It means speaking the truth in love so that that purity, that vulnerability, that intimacy that we want with each other can come. Sometimes it comes from walking in love, but look, you're going to have conflict. And most of the time when we're hurt, it's in that moment. And we've got to learn to fight in love. So if we're going to have conflict anyway, and you are, I think it's imperative that we learn to do it in love. So we're going to go through uh, some steps of resolving conflict in marriage so that you can fight in love. And, and these come from the book that we were talking about. Okay, Number one is confront in a loving and positive manner. That's easier said than done. Okay, But, but again, you're dealing with anger today. Okay, And I know you're going to have to cool off for a while sometimes. I understand that. But dealing with it as soon as possible, as soon as you can do it, where you can be angry and sin not. <laughs> All right? So you want to confront in a loving and positive manner. Now, Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer, answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word just stirs up anger. Some of us should memorize this verse. All right? 
studies say a conversation never rises above the first three minutes. In other words, what you do in the first three minutes of a conversation actually sets that conversation up for success or failure. So here's how you want to start a conversation with your spouse. I love you, but I'm upset, and I'd like, to, I'd like to have a discussion. We're on the same team. I'm glad I married you. I would do it all over again, but, but I'm angry, I'm upset, and, and I'd like to have a discussion, okay? Now, the other person, they know something's wrong, but, but they also know that I have some emotional maturity, all right? I don't need a diaper. We're okay. I went to a class, uh, conflict resolution class years and years ago, and I, one of the things that sets a conversation into spiral is voice tone. So what they coached us is when you want to resolve conflict, use the same tone of voice that you would ask somebody to pass the butter to you at the table. It's called the please pass the butter tone is what you're looking for. And, um, and that's, that's served me well. Will you please pass the butter? I'm very upset. We're on the same page. I love you. This is something we can work out, but I want you to know I am upset. Or you could do it like this. Um, you ticked me off again, and I've been on onehourdivorce.com, and I've got filled out all the forms, and I'm getting ready to hit submit. And before I do that, I want to see how you respond. All right? Go. <laughs> A gentle answer turns away wrath, all right? Harsh words stir up anger. So it's, you know, so here's the thing. Fighting at purity in marriage comes from fighting in love, all right? Okay, number two is complain. Yes, I say complain, but don't criticize. And I'm pitting those phrases against each other like this, because when I criticize you, it's about you. When I'm complaining, it's about me and how I'm feeling and how I'm, what I'm experiencing. And there's a huge difference between complaining and criticizing, all right? So here's what you don't do. When you're confronting your spouse, you don't say, okay, you did this, and you did that, and here's what you, I know what you meant by that. You know, it's you, it's you, it's you, and by the way, the judge and jury have met, and your sins have been decided. We're going to give you an opportunity to confess, maybe have leniency, so proceed. Well, everybody hates that because you've already judged me. You think you know everything. You're not even asking for my input. We hate that. And so, but here's complaining. Hey, I'd like to tell you how I feel about what just happened. Something happened between us. I, I don't know what you meant by that, but let me tell you how I took it and how I feel. So if Melissa says something that hurts my feelings and, and I come to her and I say, you know, that thing that you said a little while ago, uh, first of all, I've calmed down, but that thing you said a little while ago, that, I, that hurt. And I'm just wondering if you were trying to pay me back for what happened yesterday. Uh, because that's just the way you are, and that's what you do. <laughs> no, that went, took a left turn, okay? That's going to go south in a hurry. All right? I can say it with please pass the butter tone all day long. That's going to go bad. Because I'm judging her, and I'm criticizing her, right? But here is real complaining, all right? So, Melissa, you said something to me uh, earlier. It kind of, it bothered me. And I'm not saying that you meant to, but, but if you mind, you mind if I tell you how that made me feel, how I took it? I'm not saying I'm right, but it made me feel like possibly, you, you know, you're maybe trying to pay me back for yesterday. I'm not saying that's what you're doing. I'm just saying that's how I felt. Do you, do you mind if we talk about it? So I'm not judging. I'm not criticizing. I'm not attacking. At that point, hopefully she doesn't feel attacked and she has the freedom to say, 
yesterday. What, what happened yesterday? Oh, no, that's not true. I apologize. I did not mean that's not what I meant. You see, you can complain because complaining is talking about me and my feelings, but criticizing is actually attacking the other person, okay? And that is not fighting in love, okay? All right, so here's the third step in conflict resolution. Listen to your spouse and also believe them. If you've gone to bed angry, you can believe things about them that are wrong. We talked about that. When they begin to say things that don't line up with that belief that you've allowed Satan to create, then you begin to argue with them, all right? So like 1 Corinthians 13, this is the famous love chapter. They, they say it at weddings all the time. Love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy, doesn't boast, not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrong. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always preserves. So if you're going to have successful conflict with your spouse, you begin speedily. Please pass the butter, okay? It's okay to complain because that's about you and your feeling, but it's not okay to criticize, uh, to judge or imply what they meant by something. And then you listen. And, And if I say, Melissa, what did you mean by that? You say, Micah, I don't even remember making that statement. I don't even, and I don't know what you're talking about yesterday, so I, I apologize. I didn't mean to say anything. And I say, yeah, you are. You just don't recognize it. You meant that. All right, so now we're back to criticizing, right? Because it's about, it's about her, okay? So then here's step number four. Forgive and let it go. Now, we did a whole series recently on, on, uh, called Drinking Poison on how to forgive and what forgiveness is. So I'm not going to go too much into that today. You can go back and check out that series. I encourage you to do that if you're maybe struggling with this. But I want to say something about unforgiveness. Uh, and, and remember, we said one of the don'ts of anger is uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? Don't stay angry. And so let's say you had a fight and your spouse won't process it with you. They won't talk with, it, with you about it. You can devil-proof your heart before you go to bed, even if they won't talk about it. And the way that you do that is that you forgive them before you go to bed. You say, God, I am upset, but I forgive them. I love them. I pray that you will protect my heart. So even if both sides aren't forgiving, you can still protect your heart. All right. But let's just say that one of you is 90% wrong and the other one is 10% right. You both need to repent and ask for forgiveness. And you both need to forgive. Even if I'm only 10% wrong, I still have to say to Melissa, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. But if you hadn't done what you did, then I wouldn't have to be sorry. (laughs) No. You've got to take responsibility for, for what you did. The most healing words in marriage are this, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And if you're going to fight in love, sometimes, in fact, most of the times, that's where it ends up, okay? So imagine your marriage standing on the four pillars of love, okay, that you have put each other as priority number one. Imagine two people, and you put your spouses as number one over any kind of feelings, over your children, over your family, over your friends, over work over your own emotional needs? What would it be like if two people were doing that for each other, that they were pursuing each other, just like we did when we were dating? And, and look, 
men that we were sacrificing and giving our lives for our wives like Jesus did the church, that we were serving her like he served us. And ladies, that you're serving and honoring your husbands as well so that you can be partners, best friends that grow old together. And then you add to that this intimacy and vulnerability where we can, we can share anything with each other because we know it's a safe place, even in conflict. But yeah, we're going to have conflict, but we are going to do it right because we're fighting in love so that we can have that purity of relationship. I want to encourage you, feed yourself on having a strong marriage. Those of you that are married, go back and listen to marriages, these messages. Go to marriage meetups. Those of you that are single, study, prepare ahead of time. And look, it's not just about us, guys. Did you know we are surrounded by families who are falling apart? Marriages that are falling apart, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family. And we don't need to be distracted by problems in our own marriages, in our own families. But we want to be there where our families are strong enough that we could be others focused. We could be focused on drawing other people in, inviting them to a relationship with Jesus and here to his church where his bride gathers. See, your marriage, your family, you have the power to actually change people's lives. But it's only when we put Jesus and the foundations for a strong marriage at the very center of our marriage. I hope this series has blessed you. Would you guys stand with me?